As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Hello, hello, hello. This is Adrian Berg, host of Generation Bold, The Fountain of Truth. Did you ever wonder how so many people have the time and know-how to make podcasts and get their point of view across, make money, become influencers? Well, it's simple. They use Anchor. I've been a broadcaster for decades, but was clueless until I discovered the easiest way to make a podcast, and it's Anchor. Anchor gives you everything you need in one place for free. Yes, you heard that right, for free. You can use Anchor right at your phone or your computer to record, edit your podcast. It will sound great. And then they will distribute it everywhere, and I mean everywhere. This includes Spotify. Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and many, many more. You can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. You can fulfill your dreams, and you can be heard. Here's all you have to do. Download the Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. That's all there is. Anchor app or go to anchor.fm and get started now. I look in the mirror, I don't see wrinkles. When I look in the mirror, I see hair on my head, not my shoulder. And hello, hello, hello. This is Adrian Berg, and this is Generation Bold, the Fountain of Truth. And it is the Fountain of Truth about aging. There are so many topics that we could be speaking today with Sue Pishin. She's president and CEO of the Alliance for Aging Research, and she's been a guest with us before. Uh, They cover so many things, but in this particular research survey, they surprised me. This was about Alzheimer's. It is perhaps the number one fear that we have today about growing older because we're looking forward to our aging, particularly the people who are listening to Generation Bold. Because we say as we grow old, we become bold. And we are traveling, and we are looking good, and we are exercising. But this is something that can happen to us. We feel it's happening to us rather than we have any cause in it. And that is scary. This Alliance for Aging Research survey showed that we want to know where we stand when it comes to this. And I told Sue that I was surprised. I was surprised at the finding. So thank you so much for being with us, Sue. And uh, tell us a little bit about how you went about doing your survey. Sure, and thank you so much for having me, Adrian. I'm a big fan. Um, thank so you. We, we, uh, absolutely. Um, so we did a survey of about 2,000 adults from across the U.S., 
And uh, you're right. I mean, it was a bit surprising, not too much, but it was pretty high level of people that we surveyed, about 85% considered that understanding their risk of Alzheimer's disease was very important to them. And they also really wanted to participate actively in early diagnosis. And, and a lot of that was related to recognizing that the earlier that you recognize something, the earlier you can prepare. All right, let's talk about that. One of the empirically, my study is empirical. It's like maybe 10 people. <laughs> so, you know, I draw <laughs> conclusions. That's why I need people like you from the Alliance for Aging <laughs> Research uh, to, do, to really do the work. And the people, the, the people who say, no, I don't want to know, I'll tell you why they say mm-hmm. that. They say it because they think mm-hmm. you can't do anything about it. But mm-hmm. you're saying that these folks are interested in preparing. So tell us what you mean by preparing. What, what, how would you be preparing if you did know that you had that propensity? Well, I mean, it means a couple of different things. And you're absolutely right. There is, you know, a, a sort of a belief that uh, there's nothing you can do in sort of a general sense. And it is true that there's currently no cure for Alzheimer's disease. But knowing earlier can definitely help individuals have a much safer lifestyle, a much higher quality of life. Um, there, are, there are medications that can help with mitigation of symptoms. And then you can do other types of prep, making sure you have the services and supports you need to be able to stay at home or in your community for as long as possible. And then last, there's also a lot of clinical trial research going on. And one of the things that we found in our survey is that there was quite a lot of support for folks getting involved in research. And that that they saw as a benefit of knowing a diagnosis as early as possible. So let's use that as a stepping stone. The Alliance for Aging Research is there for a reason. It's not just there to have the findings, but to have the findings mean something. And then uh, they're shared. And they're shared by organizations that can do things, uh, National Institute for Health and so many others. And this is, this is mm-hmm. kind of an interesting question about research in the field of aging and the difference that it makes other than just informational. Let's say it came out the other way. People didn't want to know. Would that have made a different impact in how much money goes into research for Alzheimer's? Would that have made a different impact on on government programs when it comes to that? How relevant is this as it filters down to the groups that get proactive or put the money in one place versus another place for medical research? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, It really does matter because, you know, organizations like ours and then ones that are just specifically devoted to Alzheimer's disease look to these types of public surveys to kind of understand where is the public on these issues? What what do they know? What do they want to know or not want to know? And, you know, what are, what is their sort of emotional state, intellectual state about a particular issue? And that helps us to better craft educational messaging it helps us to also talk to clinicians who are on the ground interacting with folks. And then it also helps us to talk to influencers, policymakers, 
and regulators at Medicare, for example, about what we find so we can say this is information you all need to know when you're crafting policies and benefits under Medicare to better address where the public's at with these issues. Yeah, so, you know, this was a loaded question. That question was asked by me for a reason. Uh, the people listening are mostly consumers and some people in the field of successful aging. And sometimes they feel that they're powerless. They feel that their attitudes and the way they see things really don't matter. Uh, there's Medicare. It's a huge governmental system. Well, what impact could they have? There's the Alliance for Aging Research. What inca- impact? But the fact is everything that we do, everything that we believe, everything that we try for our own life and our own successful aging does filter through uh, because uh, we, we have an enormous number of people, 78 million baby boomers. And if our attitude is we don't care about this or we want to close our eyes to Alzheimer's or it's not part of our life, it's going to happen to somebody else, we have lost control. The minute we have an interest in it, we begin to read about it, we begin to learn about it, we're actually just by that alone, just by showing our interest, we're, we're really very, very effective. And uh, awareness sometimes is enough. I just want to bring that out to everybody who feels that they don't have a voice when it comes to these things. All right, so l- let's go back. That, that's my, uh, my soapbox right there. Now let's get back to the survey. <laughs> so the survey also okay. showed something that isn't surprising. I was speaking here with Sue Peshin, who is the president and CEO of the Alliance for Aging Research. It isn't so surprising, and that is the, a lot of the people had Alzheimer's or, or some other uh, issue in their family. And so, so they mm-hmm. wanted to know. Is that the big differentiator, you think, about people being interested or looking into this, or that was uh, just statistically coincidental? No, I think that's, I, I think that's um, very expected. You know, when you have an experience of something, you're more likely to kind of want to know about it than if you don't have any association with it. And especially nowadays, you know, so many more people, almost anybody you talk to has known someone or has a friend who has had a family member that has experienced Alzheimer's disease. And, you know, so when you have that in your family, the natural uh, question is, am I at higher risk? You know, what should I be doing? all that kind of stuff. So just sort of going through those experiences, and and if you have a direct caregiver experience, if you've taken care of a parent or a spouse, um, you're even more likely to, you know, sort of want to know a bit more about the disease and, uh, you know, have that sort of worry or fear of the disease. That's totally normal. And, you know, I'm a little bit worried about something here. And, again, this is the fountain of truth, so I bring out things that maybe other people don't talk about. There's always an implication, and and actually when I was studying at the Longevity Center, uh, we had a lot of Alzheimer's experts. And they did talk about the fact that levels of education have to do with Alzheimer's, that people who are less educated tend statistically to have more uh, exposure to the possibility of having Alzheimer's. And it, it's a tough thing to talk about because it, it seems to me that it's segregating a group that didn't uh, have the education necessary and saying, well, you know, that's one of the causes of Alzheimer's. But yet, statistically, we always see a connection. And one of the things that this 
survey brought out was that the folks who don't know about it are the very folks who should know about it. So when we come back, we're going to speak a little bit more about this truth, this issue, uh, with Sue Hessian, uh, who's the, uh, the CEO and president of Alliance for Aging Research, and, and other things that um, the organization has been doing and researching that will make a difference. I, also, I always believe that there's a circle here. What gets researched to begin with is what the public gets interested in. And then what gets researched influences and interests the public. So to me, this is a tremendous uh, connection that we can continue to have that's going to then eventually filter into Medicare and uh, government policies, what politicians think we want them to say, because they'll say what, they, what we want them to say, and we will make change. You may the way of making change. Of we'll be right back. Don't you go that doesn't bother me, not even a bit, because I am happy, and I freely admit I'm inappropriate. For my age, da 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 da, da 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 da. You may think that I'm full of it, but that doesn't bother me not even a bit, cause I am happy, and I freely admit I'm inappropriate for my age, da 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 da. And hello, 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 this is Adrian Berg, and this is Generation Bowl, the Fountain of Truth. I want to give you a little bit of housekeeping. In addition to this show, we get the word out through our blog, which is published by Bottom Line. So Bottom Line Personal is one of the largest newsletters in the country on health and also finance. But my bit of it is called Aging for Beginners. And I just did one on senior discounts. Should we take them or not? Is it ageist to accept a senior discount? You may be surprised what I have to say. Uh, but we also talk about making sure you get your hearing aid and not be shy. It's called Listen Up. And we have a lot of information on robotics. So these are just the, the last couple of articles that are on there. Aging for Beginners, look it up. Adri Aging for Beginners, Adrian Berg, or Bottom Line, Aging for Beginners. And of course, we have all of this um, on our website, adrianberg.com. Now, we're right here with Susan Teshin. She is the president and CEO uh, at the Alliance for Aging Research. Not the first time she's been on our show doing a fascinating uh, job in telling us the results of a study that shows that people do want to know about Alzheimer's. They want to know about it, even, even today, when perhaps it isn't um, so clear to us that we can do all that much about it. They still want to be prepared, particularly if they've had it in their family or they've been caregivers. And that did surprise me. I thought people more or less wanted to push it under the rug, but Sue Peshin says that 85% of the folks uh, surveyed, over 2,000 people, said they wanted to know. And this will definitely filter through to many organizations. But, you know, Sue is also on many organizations, and she's one of those people that you don't want to give, you don't even want to get started with your resume because it's a short show, and I could be here forever, but she's probably the Board of Heart, Health, Heart Valve of Voice U.S., National Council on Patient Information and Education, World Economic Forum's Council on Human Enhancement, I mean, on and on. So so let's, let's stick with that topic for the moment, and then we'll broaden it out a little bit. Um, there has been some not such good news about Alzheimer's lately. I'd like you to address it and uh, then help us out a little bit about what we might look for if we want to, I won't say self-diagnose, 
if we want to see if we should take any further steps. Mhm. Mhm. Those are great questions. Um I there there was I'm sure a lot of the, your listeners saw in the press lately um a couple of recent failures looking at a particular target for Alzheimer's disease that just didn't meet their endpoints in the clinical trials and there were you know, thousands and thousands of of people with dementia that participated in those studies. So it is a really big disappointment when that happens, and it makes you feel, hey, is there sort of any hope um, in terms of finding an eventual cure for this? And there are a lot of really good things going on, and it's important to remember that the increases in money at the National Institutes of Health for Alzheimer's disease just really started about five, six years ago. So it takes a little while for the research to catch up. Um, There is some sort of debate about where we go next in terms of the target that we go after for Alzheimer's disease, and there's a lot going on with that at the National Institutes of Health. Um, And, you know, it, it takes a little while to find a cure because the brain is very complex. And we don't really yet understand what kind of contributes to the buildup of the disease in our brains and what the particular kind of um, risk factors are for where we should aim treatments. And, you know, so, so there's a lot of kind of throwing of spaghetti against the wall to try a number of different tasks. Um, so that that's where we're at with things. There's a lot of trials going on. In drug trials alone, there's about 80 trials. Um, so there, there is still a lot going on. Even though you hear failures here and there, um, there is a lot going on in the early stages, both for folks who don't have any symptoms evident yet, and then also for people who are currently suffering from dementia, which I also think is really, really important because we often forget about treatment for people that currently have the disease. And especially for folks who have behavioral symptoms related to the disease, that's a huge area of unmet need. And there's a couple yes, of very, very, very promising interventions coming. Yes, yes, for agitation. Uh, for psychosis and dementia. And so those will all bring a lot of relief if they get approval from the FDA to patients and family caregivers. Now, we have uh, been doing a lot of wonderful work, both in our uh, research, just just to sort of reinterpret for the consumer what's going on. But we have talked a lot about uh, memory care. We've talked a lot about wandering. We've been talking a lot about robotics and um, uh, isolation as well as uh, speaking just a couple of weeks ago to a group in Hawaii and what they do with their landscaping to enhance the lives of people who need memory care in their memory care unit. But all of this is, um, is fascinating on one level, very, very frightening on another level. So let's, let's talk about that for a moment. One of the things that we left everybody with in the last segment was this finding that the less educated tend to be more prone. Now, I think that's a delicate issue because I always am very, very wary of stigmatizing any group or putting them in a group. So I do want you to address that. 
But I also think it's very hopeful because if Mm -hmm. the exercise of the brain and learning Mm -hmm. and lifelong learning can have some effect, wow, we've got something here. So, So can you address some of those things? Mhm. Yeah, and that's I I I do think of it sort of the the last point that you made I think is the most important, and it's also important for us to think about as a society making sure that everybody gets the same access to good quality education throughout their life, right? Um. So you know there is a difference depending on your socioeconomic status and the community that you live in maybe what type of education you have access to. And I think that's a very hopeful thing because that's something that's in our control as a society. And you were talking about that earlier, what's in our control. Now, um, the research is showing that levels of education have an impact on what's called our cognitive reserve. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. So it's our ability to, you know, recall things, to cope with things, to compensate. In fact, oftentimes people who have higher levels of education, even when they do get Alzheimer's disease, they can sort of, you know, make up for it uh, for a little while with, without other folks really recognizing that they might have a problem because of that extra cognitive reserve. And sometimes that can kind of, yeah, that can sort of shorten the period that you really experience the symptoms of Alzheimer's disease. You may think that I'm well, we will be right back. We're going to be talking further with Sue Pesci uh, about uh, the Alliance Aging Research and Trend. Trending. What's big about that? What's important? For What's next? We'll be right back. Da, 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 da. Da, da, da. You may think that I'm full of it, but that doesn't bother me not even a bit, because I am happy. And hello, hello, hello once again, and this is Adrienne Berg, and this is Generation Bold, the Fountain of Truth. Uh, By the way, folks, I have been going around the country doing some speaking on aging, power, purpose of aging, and of course, how to age successfully. So if you have an organization or you have a group uh, going out to Denver to the aquarium to speak to about 200 people when it comes to successful aging, please let me know if that is something that you would like to hear more about. And you can do that very easily by going to Adrian Berg, A-D-R-I-A-N-E-B-E-R-G.com, and you'll see the contact information. And tell me about your organization. It's also a great place to tell me about guests, topics, things that are of importance to you, and we definitely listen. So that is simply my speaker's website, A-D-R-I-A-N-E-B-E-R-G.com. And we're here today with Sue Pesson, not the first time she's been a guest on our show, uh, and uh, she's been highlighting the, the results 
of a study that the Alliance for Aging Research, which he is president and CEO, did on detecting Alzheimer's disease. And uh, what they found was that at least 85% of the folks that they, and that was thousands of people that they uh, spoke with, did want to know if they were prone to Alzheimer's and they could prepare for it. We've had a lot of deep conversation about it. But what I'd like to start this segment with, Sue, is should we be looking for certain things? As I say, I don't want to say that we're going to self-diagnose or stay up all mm-hmm. night worrying because we forgot the keys, but what should we be looking for? Yeah, and that that's a great question, Adrian. And I think the overarching uh, thing for folks to remember is, you know, if something in your gut is telling you that something's wrong, either with yourself or somebody that you care about, make an appointment with the doctor. Don't wait. Don't try to self-diagnose. It's a really good tip. Um, there's a couple of things that you can think about to sort of distinguish, right? It's like we all forget names or appointments, but if you eventually remember them, it's generally just an age-related change. If you know, you forget things that you recently learned or you can't eventually recall something, then, you know, you might want to check in with your doctor. The other thing I want to emphasize before I keep going through things to think about is that there's a lot of things that can cause memory loss as we get older. A lot of us take multiple medications. Sometimes you have a thyroid problem or a vitamin deficiency, and all those different types of things can also cause memory issues. So that's why it's important to go, you know, even if you think, oh, it's, it's probably nothing. It's always good to, to get it checked out. And the annual wellness visit that Medicare now covers allows you once a year to talk to your healthcare provider about your memory. So, so everybody who's listening in should do that. Another thing has to do with challenges in planning or solving problems. If you're making occasional errors when you're balancing your checkbook, no big deal, totally normal. But if you have um, difficulty concentration or following something that's generally familiar to you, like your brisket recipe for Passover <laughs> or keeping track right. of your monthly bills or I don't you have know, a whatever. brisket recipe. I, I have, you know, so I, I would say this. I have only supervised visitation with my stove. But uh, I, will tell you, <laughs> I, I will honestly tell you that there's a recent article that talks about brain health and how uh-huh. to achieve it through cooking. Through cooking. Oh, so I deleted I the article. Yeah, I deleted <laughs> I didn't read the article. <laughs> I saw it there and I said, eh, not for me. But all right. But it's true. If yeah. you use recipes and it, it, it's coordination, <laughs> go ahead. Yeah. What yeah. else should we be looking so, at? So other things that are commonly mentioned is if you have difficulty completing familiar tasks, brushing your teeth, you know, remembering the rules of something that you've played, you know, for years and years, um, any type of sort of regular thing that you do, that can be a cause for concern. If you occasionally need help with setting a microwave or recording the TV show or whatever, not to worry. If you get confused with the time or the place, if you can't remember what year it is, um, those things. But if you can figure things out later, again, normal. So it's just sort of recognizing that 
temporarily not remembering how to do something or a fact or something, but then it eventually comes back to you, that's pretty normal as we age. But it's when we lose it and we really have trouble recalling it that we can get into trouble. One of the things I do is I try to calm people down by telling the truth about myself. And I'm going Mm -hmm. to uh, jump in here with some of that truth. Uh, First of all, I have very good memory. Uh, and I and I have actually get good grades in everything only because I memorize it. I know nothing. I just know how to memorize, and the next day I forget everything. But I've been doing that since I was a kid, and that's my mo. So my memory is extremely good, and I'm very active in using my mind because I'm always researching and writing. But I want everybody to know about two things. Sometimes I cannot remember the name of an actress or a Broadway show, and I go to a lot. I'm, I'm I'm a culture vulture. And it almost feels like there's a space in my mind. And I got scared. But I always retrieved the information, and this is what Sue Pishin is talking about. That information would come back. And by looking at that, by doing a little bit of a research, it helped me a lot to understand the aging brain. The aging brain Mm -hmm. has crystallized intelligence, which simply means that we have more experience, so we have more neurons, so we know more, and we make sometimes better judgments, better decisions. But fluidity sometimes uh, does change. We lose some of those connections, and they they return. They're just temporarily out of whack. So don't Mm -hmm. be scared. It it has happened, and I told you uh, what helped me. Stop it. Meditation and relaxation. I, I was just, mm-hmm. I was on overload. And when I'm on mm-hmm. overload, that's what could happen. So I want to bring that out. And I think that's, that's an important thing to understand. Uh, it does happen, it is natural, but I really do wish people would stop saying they're having senior moments. Because it's yeah. very much like, except, yeah, it's like accepting snoring as as normal. It's not normal. And extended mm-hmm. senior moments also requires a little bit of proactive self-care. I'm looking to see if mm-hmm. there's something something wrong out there. So I just wanted mm-hmm. to bring that out. I want people to know that, that it's there. All right, now, let's, um, let's talk a little bit more about uh, clinical trials. Now, you talked about that in the context of Alzheimer's, things that worked, things that didn't work recently. But uh, my, my father-in-law, who, who actually passed away at 94, uh, he had yeah. cancer. And he went mm. into a clinical trial, and he was cured. Uh, mm. Total remission. For, for, and that was a very severe melanoma. And he did it. Mm-hmm. So sh- w- what should we look for in that sort of mm-hmm. thing? Give us your your point of view. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it's about your own personal experience related to memory, because having concrete examples is a lot easier to kind of understand and feel comfortable with than when you're just sort of listing symptoms or things to worry about or not worry about. So thank you for doing that, because that is really helpful. Um, In terms of clinical trials, I mean, it's, it's really sort of an untapped resource, I think, for folks. First of all, when you enroll in a clinical trial, you tend to get exceptional health care, sometimes better than, you know, what you normally get, right, because there's extra things that they're looking for and watching for. Um, and the reason why our organization, the Alliance for Aging Research, is so active in educating uh, older adults about 
clinical trials is for a couple of reasons. I mean, one is that as we get older, we're at a disproportionate risk of developing a lot of the chronic diseases that are most common, so heart disease, cancer, you mentioned, Alzheimer's we've been talking about, you know, eye issues. So there's a lot of different things, but we have a tendency to be underrepresented in the studies that are looking at new treatments for these diseases. So they're studying in younger people, oftentimes who aren't dealing with other issues at the same time or aren't taking other medications. And so the studies may not be really representative of the real-world situations that we're dealing with as we get older. Well, we're coming to the end of our segment, but it's very much like I'll say at the real end of our show, which is get out there and make it happen. Um, If it's something that you think will be enhancing you, don't be afraid of a clinical trial. You do get very, very good health care. That's an important thing to point out. And I don't think, Sue, that anyone has ever said that on the show before. We talked about clinical trials before. But it is so. Come back. We're going to talk about something that's new. That's Mick Jagger and his health is his heart valve. We will be back in just a minute. Don't you go anywhere. inappropriate for my age. Da-da-da-da. Da-da-da-da. You may think that I'm full of it. And hello, hello, hello. This is Adrienne Berg, and this is Generation Bold, the Fountain of Truth. And I want to tell you guys what I'm into at the moment before we go back to our esteemed guest, Sue Peshin, uh, and that is positive deviance. People who are doing good things when everybody else isn't. They are being positive, but they are being deviant. And I am here to create positive deviance in the field of successful aging. I want you to stop talking about how lousy you feel at the dinner table or in the restaurant. Stop fetching, as my mom would say, and start showing people how really strong, smart, and able you are. That's the revolution. That's the revolution. That's the, that's the pro-age revolution that I'm creating right here. And I'm speaking about it all over the country, so if you are interested in that and you have an organization that would like to hear about that, uh, go ahead and go to my name, A-D-R-I-A-N-E-B-E-R-G, adrianberg.com, and you'd be part of the revolution. You were in the 60s. Why not now? And let's go back to another revolutionary, somebody who has an incredible influence and is a real thought leader in the field of aging, and that is Sue Passion. She is the CEO uh, and president of Alliance for Aging Research, and it is a powerful organization. So, Sue, let's start with that for a moment. Let's not uh, uh, be in the dark. How do they access the wonderful videos and information that you have? Yes, um, please come visit us on our website. It's agingresearch, one word, agingresearch.org. And we have some short, what are called pocket films, which uh, cover a whole variety of topics you can learn about in like five to six minutes. We have brochures and fact sheets. Everything's free. We also have a free e-newsletter that you can get in your email inbox called Living Longer and Loving It. And it's really easy to sign up right off our homepage. And we also have an A to Z directory. So you can just look up your topics, 
where they fall in the alphabet, and check us out. And, you know, uh, as always, uh, starting on Wednesday, all of this is going to be on the front page of our website, generationboldradio.com, because it is extremely important. All right, so... uh, in the news, in the news is Mick Jagger. He just uh, disseminated on social media a picture of himself after his heart valve transplant. And of the many organizations that you're involved in, that's one of them, actually. So uh, and we have in our family, my, my mother-in-law went through a, an unsuccessful heart, transplant, heart valve transplant. There's a lot to know. So tell us a little bit about uh, what the Alliance is doing with, in that regard. Yes, um, absolutely. So heart valve disease, it tends not to be talked about as much. When most people think about heart disease, they think about heart attacks or heart failure. But heart valve disease actually impacts about 8 to 11 million Americans. And uh, it it comes about the the biggest risk factor is age. So as we get older, um, you can have it at birth. When people have congenital heart conditions, oftentimes it's related to heart valve disease. Um, but it's very, very common, and aortic valve disease is one of the more common types. There's two treatments for it. There's open-heart surgery to replace the valve, or there's something called transcatheter aortic valve replacement, and that's what Mick Jagger recently had in New York City to treat his aortic valve, uh, valve disease. And that's a less invasive type of procedure that they can do and you can leave the hospital in just a few days, similar to like when you get a stent versus open heart surgery. And uh, it tends to have, you know, better health outcomes. And like if you can leave the hospital a little bit earlier. And we're working on this issue because right now the Medicare program is considering how they're going to cover it. And we're encouraging patients and family caregivers and even the general public to weigh in with the Medicare program at the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services. We're actually doing a webcast on this next Tuesday, and I can send you some information about it in case anybody wants to tune in and learn about it. But it's a way that you can make a difference and give your voice to Medicare program and potentially influence how they decide to cover this procedure. So you cannot imagine, anybody listening, how important what was just said is. First of all, um, Mick Jagger had a different kind of operation than my mother-in-law, and he's showing his pictures, and she didn't get, didn't come through. Uh, and surprisingly so, and by the way, she had a wonderful doctor, Dr. Oz. You all know him from the television. Now why? Mm-hmm. Well, one of the differences is years. Years have passed. There's new research, there's new money, and it went into this new procedure. Things do change for the better, but only if you have a voice. And I will also say in one of my early books, 2008, How Not to Go Broke at 102, it talks about rationing health care, and it talks about the fact that you can't put the money everywhere. And we are in danger. Older adults are in danger because if somebody is going to make a choice as to where to put money, medical money, they may very well put it in diseases of younger ages than older ages if they continue to see us as dead wood. You know this is the fountain of truth, and I do not mince words. Your 
voice will be heard. If you say something, it's going to make a difference. If you do nothing but show yourself as non-contributory to our society, why should anybody put money into making you live a couple of extra years longer when they have people who are productive? You can be productive at any age. End of soapbox. <laughs> there, here we go, Sue. You see, yeah, get in trouble all the time. All right. I think it's an incredible thing that you're doing, um, bringing this out into the open. And there's also, and you're also on the board of help of board of Heart Valve Voice US. Uh, mm-hmm. Again, revealing, you know, revealing something that's kind of under the radar. So I just thank you so much. You know, we we come to the end of our show, and I always feel there's so much more to say. So will you be a guest again? I would love it, Adrian. And there's so much that you're working on. So thank you all. Don't forget to go to the website. Alliance for Aging uh, is going to be very important to you. Uh, Living Longer and Loving It is a newsletter that you're looking for. Subscribe to it because it's a continuum. It's holistic. It's not just, you know, a pie-in-the-sky research organization. You influence them. They influence you. The government gets influence, and everything changes for the better. So thank you so much, Sue. And everybody else, get out there, kids, and make it happen. With Lucky Landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo, and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.